It's springtime and the sun is shining, or maybe it's a bit cloudy this morning, but I see, it feels like every time I go for a walk these days, there's somebody in the garden in almost every single house, maybe every second house, like whether they're pruning or planting or mowing or whatever it is. Um, anybody got anything growing in their garden at the moment? Some roses that are blooming now or some veggies or fruits that are springing forth? Yeah, yeah, a few of you. We've got this strawberry plant in our little courtyard that's bursting with strawberries. I had a look at it again this morning. It's just like full on. They're, they're growing too quickly for us to be able to eat. Um, it's, and they're, they're delicious. They're amazing. It's only its second season. Last year it was planted and, and had a couple of strawberries that were nice on it, but now it's just like going for it. Um, and Father Justin, was, he's the one responsible for this, not me. I'm not the gardener. <laughs> he was telling me about when he, when he bought it, he had gone and he was mainly looking to buy some, some seeds to plant, but he wanted to buy like, something that was going to fruit a bit quicker. So he was looking for some plant to buy, and he was looking at a few other different things, but the lady at the nursery was like, no, go for this one. This is the one you want. If you want to see something bearing fruit, this strawberry plant is the one you, that you want. And he was just struck by so how confident that she was. She was like, this is what you need. This is the one that you want. This is going to be the fruitful one. I feel like we need a salesman like that who's going to talk to us about our souls <laughs> and the fruitfulness that God has put in us. Maybe that's how God wants to look down on us and say, these guys, these ones are going to bear fruit. I have created them so that they can bear such glorious, amazing fruit that you'll never imagine it. You should buy them and plant them in your garden. Maybe not. Um, but that's what we've been created for. God wants us to flourish and grow um, and to become this amazing, um, to share in his glory, really. It's like God created us because he didn't have enough of his glory. He wanted to kind of multiply it and get more. That's what we're supposed to flourish and grow into. There's a line in a hymn from the prayer of the church that says, the seed of glory sown in man will flower when we see your face. That just so excites me that there's, we, we are a seed or there's this seed of God's glory in us and what he wants to see is that that flourishes. And even, that, like, even if we taste God's glory and his love and see the fullness of life now in some way, that's even just a seed, just the tiniest taste compared to what's going to flourish into this big, fruitful, flowering, blossoming tree when we see God face to face and sharing that in heaven. Isn't that exciting? So cool. And we might believe that. But I think there's this disconnect where we, even if we believe it firmly, we don't always necessarily think that it's going to come about. We might not hope for it with all the confidence that we should. I think that comes about because we know that whether or not we become that fully blossoming plant actually has something to do with us. There's some part that we have to play in that. In some very real sense, it's up to us. And then that can bring us the anxiety, the questions of like, oh, well, but... How can I become that holy? How can I grow into what God wants me to do? How can I allow that to happen? What if I don't know what I'm doing? What if I fail? What if I say the wrong things or do the wrong things? Or what if I just mess it all up? And this kind of fear can actually paralyze us. It can stop us from going out there and trying. It can stop us from trying to grow, being open to what God has for us. And I think this is the kind of fear that we see at work in the third servant of today's parable because he, he wasn't willing to do anything he was paralyzed by this fear and just took what God had given him and buried it in the ground so the question 
to ponder today, I think, is how do we allow what God has sown in us to come to fruition? How do we allow that to, to blossom into the great glorious tree that he wants us to be? Thankfully, Jesus explains it perfectly in this parable. So let's look at what he says. There's a master who goes away for a time and he entrusts some of his resources, quite a significant amount of resources, to a couple of his servants so that they can do what they want with them. So he entrusts them with the money, he goes away, they do some stuff, he comes back and then he meets with each of his servants and has this kind of evaluation of their efforts and he rewards some, others he doesn't. So the first servant is given five talents. Um, he's given the most. He, when the master goes away, he trades with them, he brings them out and does what he can, he makes five more talents. Then when he comes face to face with the master again, the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You can enter into your master's joy. Cool, good result. Second man is given two talents. He also does what he can. He trades with them, he invests, he does whatever. Um, he makes two more talents. When he comes face to face with the master when he returns, he also gets this good judgment. Um, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's joy. The third servant receives one talent, and he is fearful, we remember, so he buries it in the ground, hides it away, doesn't want to do anything with it. So he doesn't bear any fruit, he doesn't get any gains on what he had. Then the master says to him, cast him out, get rid of him, I don't like this guy. So, you followed all of that? You got it all penned down? Okay. If you didn't, I made a table for you. So, <laughs> Just so we can all be clear on what's going on. But why does the master make the decision in the end? Why, where does this end result come from? What, what's the basis of the master's decision? I think as we look at the table, the question is, which column is the master judging on? Is it, I think this is the first place our minds go to, is the master judging on the fruits column, the results of their work, the success or the lack of success? Um, it kind of makes sense. Seems like a good suggestion because it correlates well. You got, he made five talents and he got a good result. He made two talents and he got a good result. He didn't make anything and therefore he got no reward. So it, it kind of makes sense. But if we follow that line of thinking, we butt up again against these fears that I was talking about. Because if, if God's judgment upon us at the end if whether we're going to get to what God wants for us in the end is dependent upon our successes, then suddenly we can become very anxious and go, oh no, what if I fail? What if I don't know what I'm doing? What if I say the wrong thing? Or what if I completely mess it up? And that kind of fear can just paralyze us from doing anything. So we don't use anything that God's given us. We hide away our resources. We don't invest and trade. We just protect and cling to what we've got. And it doesn't bear fruit. Either that, or we're so confident that we do become successful, and then it becomes a source of pride, because we think it's actually because of our own efforts. So I don't think God wants us to think in either of those ways. So I don't reckon the fruit column is the one that's being judged. So what does that leave us with? If we look at what the master actually says when he brings the judgment to the servants, he says, well done, good and fruitful servant, does he? Does he say, well done, good and successful servant? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. 
Because the judgment is upon the response that they've made, the faithfulness, the generosity with which they've, they've tried. They've stepped in and done what they could with what they had. And we hear even with the third servant, who didn't bear any fruit, the master says to him, even if you put my money in the bank, which would have taken like about this much effort from him, even if you did the tiniest little effort, it would have opened it up to some gain, some fruitfulness. The master would have been delighted with any willing response that he'd given. But he hadn't given anything. Mother Teresa um, said, and it's a famous quote of hers, I was not called to be successful, I'm called to be faithful. God doesn't judge us on our fruits, on the successes of our actions, for one other really good reason, in that it's not actually in our power to bring about the fruitfulness. That's God's domain. We can only offer our efforts, be faithful and generous with what we've been given, and if God wants to make that successful in the short term, then he will. Sometimes he doesn't. In the end, if we're faithful with what we've got, then he's going to make it fruitful and we're going to flourish into that great big strawberry tree that he wants us to be. But if we don't bring anything forward, God can't do anything. If we hide our talent away, like the third servant, if we don't respond to what he's giving us, then there's no fruitfulness that God can bring forth. He can't do anything in that situation. This is why his judgment and what he's asking of us, really, is not to be fruitful. It's to be as faithful as we can with what we've been given. To be open to seeing his fruits come. To, to kind of step in and put what we've got on the table. So I think there's two invitations that come to us from this parable today. And the first one is that we should be free from this fear. We don't need to be paralyzed by these thoughts of, oh no, what if I do it wrong? What if I mess it up? What if I don't know what I'm doing? God wants us to be free and be able to, to use what he's given to respond. And because this kind of, the stinginess that comes from that fear will never bring about the fruits of the kingdom. We'll never be able to flourish if we're not willing to offer and give and be faithful to what God calls us to. But if we do, if we do trust in the call that God's giving us, in the resources that God's given us, um, in his work that comes in when we do our work, then he can bring about marvelous fruits for us. So if we're free of that fear, then the next invitation, which is really a question that we can ask ourselves, how do we be faithful to what God's calling us to now? What does it mean for me to use what God's given me in my current situation, the resources that I have? Perhaps that means for us a new step in relationship with God or a new openness to discovering who he is. Perhaps that means just the, the faithful perseverance in what God's already called me to, just keeping on in that place. Perhaps it's the faithful listening to God's word so that we're open to how he wants to guide us and perhaps if he wants to call us on a different path. We may not feel that there's much to offer in our current situation as well, but we also don't hear the master. He doesn't ask the, one with the, the servant with the one talent to trade as if he's got five. And we don't hear him comparing the two-talent guy with the five-talent guy. They made different amounts of fruit, 
but they worked with what they'd been given. We like to compare like that, but God didn't. The master didn't in the parable. We can only give God what we've got. We can only respond with what we've got in the situation that we find ourselves in. But the good news is that every single situation, every moment, is a time when we can make a response. We can be generous with what we've got. We can be faithful to whatever God's giving us in that moment. We don't need to wait for some holy moment down the track. Because whatever, however boring or however hard or however ordinary or however meager that situation might seem, it's a moment where we can encounter God and be open to responding to him. We come to God in Mass and do this very thing. We bring God a couple of bits of bread and a mouthful of wine. Like what we're going to bring forward in the offertory in a couple of minutes' time would scarcely cost $5. But God takes that, an absolutely meager offering, and he turns it into the very substance of his divinity. <laughs> he turns this, this little pittance that we offer him, he turns it into the sacrifice which brings about our salvation. Yeah? And he does this as well when we can offer him our, our loving attention in a conversation with someone. We can offer him um, our faithfulness to our vocation. We can offer him our perseverance to turn up at work or at prayer or in our family, just to turn up and serve and be open again and again and again. Whatever, however small the offering is, if we're faithful there, we're opening up to that great fruitfulness that God wants to bring. And if he can do such amazing stuff with the meager offering that we bring to him in the Eucharist, then what is he going to do with that little offering that you can make him in the most ordinary moments of your life? If we remember again, going back to the strawberry plant and the seed that we are, the, the glory that God has created us for, that's the fruitfulness that he wants to bring forth from our lives. That's what he wants us to blossom into in the end. So how much fruit does God want to bring if we're able to open up to his grace? If we're able to continue to offer what we have, where we are, as faithfully as we can. Hello, Father Dan here. If this homily has been helpful, there are a few things I'd love for you to do. Firstly, subscribe to this podcast or share this episode with someone who might find it helpful. And consider also helping us to expand our mission and reach out to more people by donating at stbenedicts.com.au forward slash donate, or you can click on the link in the podcast description. Thanks so much for joining us and have a blessed week.